0: Hey folks, welcome to another episode of The Electables. It's Doug Thornell here, and as always, I've got my uh, super producer, Michael Peliquin. Mike, how you doing, my friend?
1: Doing well, Doug. How are you?
0: I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, We are, gosh, we're what, like uh, almost, I guess, we're recording this uh, episode the Friday after the last debate. So we're almost a week out from election day um doug be honest and, uh, did you
1: uh did you make it through all that debate
0: uh no yeah
1: <laughs> i i just can't you know, listen I, to it anymore
0: <laughs> i i uh I, I i i missed some of the beginning um and then i caught most of the uh, sort of i probably watched two-thirds of it um yeah. and everyone's sort of giving you know credit to or, or or they're comparing it to the last debate and saying it was so much better. And yeah, I, 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 I agree. I mean, I, it's hard to not agree with, it, you know, the fact that um, this was much better than that shit show. But um, yeah. it's at the same time, you know, Trump's always graded on a curve and he can go out and say whatever he wants and lie. And, you know, it's like, oh, he didn't like have a total mental breakdown and go crazy on the screen like he did in the la- the, the first debate. And so, you know, it's like people are giving him credit, which yeah. is,
1: well, it's almost, always been, it's almost like, um, these debates are now just defending what people are talking about on Twitter or whatever bullshit news stories coming out and people are talking about it. Um, it, 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 it used to be people would talk about policy and substance, um, but we are just in new ground now. Well, I, you know, look, I, I, I believe Biden did
0: uh, get into some policy and substance. I, I thought I was. Um, I thought he it, uh, He, he, he had a message that was speaking to a much broader audience than Donald Trump. Who I think Donald Trump is, you know, he, he, the places he gets his information are very narrow. You know, it's sort of the Twitter universe of people that he follows. It's Fox News. It's that conservative right wing, um, you know, ecosystem there that. And I think he tends to, you know, in this debate, you know, he was sort of, you know, he was talking about the Hunter Biden stuff and all of these sort of crazy conspiracy theories that live in the sort of lowest, darkest areas of Reddit or wherever. Um, and uh, the, or the dark web, and uh, and I just think like for those voters who are truly undecided, I'm just not sure if any of that stuff really matters to them. And I thought what Biden's done a good job of in, in the first debate and in the second debate is you know, bring it back to the, the issues that people care about. Um, and one of those important issues, um, is combating gun violence in in this country. And um, we're lucky to have with us today Shannon Watts, who is the founder of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Uh, It's the nation's largest grassroots gun violence prevention group. Uh, It has chapters in all 50 states uh, and a powerful network of volunteers and survivors that have uh, had real success in affecting change at the local state and the national level. Um as part of Every Town for Gun Safety Mom's Demand Action uh boasts nearly 6 million supporters and they've got, which I love to see here, uh, a 90% track record of beating the big bad mighty NRA uh priority legislation in state houses. So, Shannon, uh thank you so much for joining the Electables. It's great to have you.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, tell us why you started or founded Moms Demand Action.
2: Hmm. Well, you know, I was a a stay at home mom of five in 2012 when the shooting in Newtown, Connecticut happened. And I had seen mass shooting after mass shooting occur in this country with absolutely no action. And I can remember thinking after Gabby Giffords was shot, you know, surely her colleagues in Congress will do something. And as we all know, they did precisely nothing. So when the Sandy Hook shooting happened, I felt like I had to get off the sidelines. And I looked online for something like Mothers Against Drunk Driving, thinking that must already exist for gun safety, and I couldn't find anything. And that that was really how I wanted to get involved in this issue, and, and so I started a Facebook page Which ended up being a lot like lightning in a bottle, but you know, I I should also say, as a white suburban mom, you know, I got off the sidelines because I was afraid my kids weren't safe in their schools, and and shame on me and so many other white women for taking so long to to get off the sidelines because we know that gun violence kills over 100 Americans every single day, Um, and that's not just mass shootings and school shootings. It's Gun homicides and gun suicides and domestic gun violence, and so, you know, our organization now is is almost eight years old. We're larger than the NRA, and we're working to stop this issue on on
0: every front. We saw the issue of gun violence, Shannon, play a, an important role in the twenty eighteen midterms. Um, both the election, you know, how it impacted some some races, but also even prior to that some of the candidates who ran, who got involved, you know, I'm thinking of uh, uh, Lucy McBath in Georgia, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you saw just a, you know, uh, an unbelievable mobilization um, that occurred prior to the 2018 midterms, particularly some of the, uh, the, particularly the kids from Parkland. And um, so I, I'm just uh, I'm curious what role do you believe the issue has played in the 2020 election? Um, and are you do you are you do you are you concerned that it's not playing as big a role or is it playing as big a role? What's your sense of how it's playing out in the in this in this election?
2: yeah, I mean you you referenced it, but there has been a seismic shift in politics on the issue of gun safety. you know, For so long it was considered a third rail of American politics. And not only are politicians not running away from it anymore, they're actually run on it. And that's because we created this grassroots movement. And, and I always say the point of, of activists is to show lawmakers that if they do the right thing, we'll have their back. And if they do the wrong thing, we'll have their job. And that takes several election cycles, right? And, and you mentioned Lucy McBath, who was a Moms Demand Action spokeswoman. Um, we helped her win a seat held by Republicans for over 30 years. It's Newt Gingrich's old seat. And the first thing she did in 2018 after she was elected was to, to put forth sweeping gun reform legislation that, that passed the House. Um, and, and I think that that, that, that momentum and, and lawmakers learning the lesson that they needed to be taught about being on the right side of this issue and being able to go up against the NRA and still have their jobs, um, has made it a very important issue this election cycle. I mean, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris represent the strongest gun safety ticket ever, and they have made this issue a focus of their their platform, their policy platform. They have a comprehensive plan to address gun violence. Uh, Obviously, the the contrast between Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump could not be more stark um, but we're also seeing this as a winning issue in in battleground states and suburbs. Um, I'm particularly proud that that we have volunteers themselves who are running. Uh, in 2020, we've we've endorsed 51 volunteer leaders running up and down the ballot. Last year, we had you know over 100 altogether. So this pandemic, while taking a lot of of the space that that we would be talking about other issues, you know, people need to remember that the COVID crisis is actually exacerbating the gun violence crisis. There haven't been any school shootings because there hasn't been any school, but there was a historic number of gun sales in the spring and early summer. And and I'm very concerned about what that means when school is back in session because we know most school shooters are students who have easy access to guns in their homes. We know right now women are isolated with abusers who have easy access to guns. We know people are struggling with suicidal Ideation due to isolation or, or concerns about their economic welfare. We expect five to seven thousand additional suicides this year alone. So yes, I do think it's top of mind for voters, and and it will be critical in helping us win back the presidency, to to flip the Senate, and also to keep the gun sense majority we won won in twenty eighteen, and, and to flip several state houses, in particular, Arizona, Texas, Minnesota, and Iowa.
0: You touched on uh, the the in what you uh, in your answer just the uh, the the you know sort of the impact that this pandemic um, is having um, both uh, uh, for folks at home and also for um, gun sales. What is the as an advocate as a mom? You know, I was reading this Forbes article about you. Um how has how have you had to reorganize your priorities or your life or how how have you handled being so out front on such an important issue, running this major organization, but also doing it in the in the middle of a pandemic and also being a a mom. And I know mm-hmm. I think your parent your kids are a little bit older now, but still yep. like I'm just curious it's it's a lot to juggle and how have you been able to juggle and how and tell me about like you know in March and where you are today I think we've all gone through this evolution. <laughs> I'm curious what yours has been
2: Yeah you know I uh, I've been a full-time volunteer now for almost eight years. Uh, I've been busier doing this volunteer work than I certainly ever was in my career uh, as a corporate communications executive and it is incredibly fulfilling. Uh, to be working on, on an issue that's that's saving an untold number of lives because we have had such success in state houses and in boardrooms. You know, We've now passed background checks in 22 states. Uh, we've passed red flag laws in 19 states. Uh, we've passed laws in 29 states that help keep guns away from domestic abusers, not to mention the dozens and dozens of, of restaurants and retailers that have changed their open carry policies because of our volunteers. Um, that momentum helps me to keep going. You know, I realized a long time ago that, that this was a marathon, not a sprint. And that when you get involved in this work, um, you know, I, I believe we'll see it in the near future, but it would take a, a while to get done. And I believe we're on the precipice of major positive change at a federal level, right? Each of us is only, a state, as, as, each of us is only as safe as the closest state with the weakest gun laws. And so when we pass these laws at a federal level, it would make a huge difference. Um, certainly, you know, we never expected that this would be such a, a unique campaign. Um, that said, we started online and we invested in sophisticated technologies for years and years, technologies that most companies and organizations only give to their leaders. We actually give to every single volunteer And so when this moment happened, we were able to really turn on a dime and and seamlessly move from doing this work offline to doing it online. Uh, Advocacy days, um, testifying against bad legislation, uh, testifying in favor of good legislation, um, city ordinances, school board meetings, all of it being done online, getting out the vote. We've we've made now almost 1 million calls um, to get out the vote and sent you know, hundreds of thousands of texts. And so we were able to pivot pretty seamlessly and, and be as if not more effective, frankly. Um, what we've learned about this technology is that it makes us even more inclusive and more equitable. You know, When we have events uh, that we would have, for example, had in Sacramento, where I live in, outside of Sacramento in California, you can't get necessarily from San Diego to Sacramento for an advocacy day, but you can zoom in during your lunch break. And so I don't think we'll ever go back to doing things the way we used to do them. This will be a component of our work going forward. Um, but but honestly, I'm just eager to, to get through election uh, cycle and understand who, who the winners are and then begin the, the additional heavy lifting of getting new gun laws passed in state houses and, and certainly in DC.
0: How has the, how is your persuasion, your, your, your persuasion message? So the message that you use who are on the fence and you're trying to get them to support background checks or red flag laws. How has it evolved or changed since you've been involved in this this issue, this movement? So for seven or eight years? Have you seen an evolution in terms of how you appeal to these folks who you know who are Are gun owners, you know, who believe in the Second Amendment um, may even be members of the NRA, but also believe that people should there should be background checks and that terrorists shouldn't be able to have guns. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, like some basic common sense stuff that, you know, uh, and so I'm just curious, what have you seen? What how is that message or maybe it hasn't evolved, but um, I'm just curious, like how when you. How has it changed, if it has, over the, over the few years, particularly in the last four years or since Sandy Hook?
2: Well, first of all, it's important to remember that this issue is not polarizing among the general American public. In fact, 93% of Americans support common sense gun laws, like a background check on every gun sale. Uh, 80% of gun owners support stronger gun laws. 74% of NRA members. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you know, we have broad support for this issue. It's really that we have um, something no other high-income country has, which is uh, one of the wealthiest, most powerful special interests that's ever existed, um, the NRA. And they have held sway for a long time with our lawmakers because it's been a, a quid pro quo for for money and, and support. Um, and so we had to go in and undo that. When you talk about the, the messaging components, a background check on every gun sale is a message that resonates with just about every American. What we had to do was get what has been the silent majority to vote on this issue, right? Because the, the vocal minority of gun extremists were, were always the loudest. And so that's what we've spent so much time doing is to to make this issue as important to voters as healthcare and the economy and education, etc. Especially, frankly, to to women who we know support this issue even more than men do. And When you look at what we're doing this cycle, you know, we're spending tens of millions of dollars, more than we've ever spent before to elect gun sense champions in key states like Texas, North Carolina, Arizona, Iowa, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Florida, Georgia. Um, And and part of that strategy is to run digital, excuse me. Part of that strategy is to run digital and television ads on gun safety in those priority states and then you persuade and turn out voters and then you have to to match that spending with grassroots muscle so despite the the pandemic curveball um you know the the virtual campaign because of our digital roots has enabled us to send as i said you know 1.3 million text messages nearly 1 million voter calls Um, we've held seventy seven hundred events um registered over a hundred thousand voters and when you when you pair that that grassroots activity with our spend, um, it is it's a it's a key for success in turning out voters on this
0: issue. So a lot of um a lot of attention is paid towards what what is happening in Washington. But I think one of the most effective, um, you know, uh, activities that mom moms demand action, uh grassroots or and or and just grassroots organizations like yours, is that you do focus on the local level. You look at the state, because oftentimes that's where maybe that's the place that's you know a a better place to try to make change than in Congress. So I'm just you know what's happening right now, and maybe if you if you wouldn't mind sort of looking at maybe the past year or two just sort of some of the victories that you guys have had in the different in different states.
2: Yeah so we started this work in late 2012, early 2013 thinking we would immediately pass something called Mansion Toomey at the federal level. That was a bill, a bipartisan bill that was put forward in honor of, of the Sandy Hook victims that would have closed the background check loophole. And it failed by just a handful of votes in the Senate, including some democratic senators. And by the way, not a single one of them still has their job. Um, and so we immediately pivoted and started doing this work in state houses and boardrooms, realizing that that Congress is not necessarily where this work begins. It's probably where it ends. And we've had incredible success um, in states. And, and I think one of the the most important victories we've had um, I mentioned Virginia you know we got involved in Virginia uh, at the very beginning and and our, our volunteers there were just relentless in making sure that the the Democratic US senators there um, and and the legislators in the state house were on the right side of this issue and it all culminated when the Virginia Beach mass shooting happened and the the general Assembly, got together, they were supposed to have a special session and, and focus on gun violence prevention. And instead they adjourned and did nothing. And we decided to to double down and we outspent the NRA in Virginia eight to one. We outworked them on the ground, making hundreds of thousands of calls and door knocks. And the night of the election, you know, I, I went into what we call the war room in, in Richmond thinking, okay, we'll, we'll flip one chamber of the General Assembly. And we ended up flipping both that night. And in fact, gun safety was, was in the incredible. top three issues that, uh, that that got voters and particularly women to the polls. And you gotta remember, this is the NRA's back, backyard, right? This is where they're headquartered. Um, and and within a few months, the governor passed seven new good gun safety laws. And I really think that is is the way that many legislatures are moving, even even states like Texas. Because voters are fed up with lawmakers who who offer thoughts and prayers and absolutely no action. Um, And and so, again, we're we're very hopeful. We will flip state legislatures uh, in on November 3rd. We we flipped um, seven in 2018. And and so the the more momentum we have in state houses, I think that really just points the right president and the right Congress in the right direction.
0: Uh, Walk me through your top targets. Um, in terms of uh, state legislatures for um, the uh, for for in the next uh, for November third,
2: yeah, you know there are thirteen battleground states, um, and we are seeing a, an appetite um, uh, among voters for a change on this issue in states like Arizona, Minnesota, Iowa, and Texas. You know, in Texas, we only have to flip nine seats in the house to have a gun sense majority. And, you know, imagine what impact that would have on a state um, that has suffered from, you know, four of the deadliest mass shootings in modern American history. Uh, we know Texans and Minnesotans and Iowans and Arizonans, they all support common sense gun laws like a background check on every gun sale. So we, we are working on the ground in those states um, to turn out voters on this issue. Um, we are spending millions of dollars, uh, $8 million in, in Texas alone. But we also have volunteers running um, in those states uh, for seats in the state houses. So it's a combined effort, and we are, we are feeling really good uh, about the outcome in November.
0: You touched on the power of the NRA. Um, but hmm. the NRA, you know, when I was working in Congress, um, uh, my last my last um i i left the hill in 2010 and at that point in time you know there were a, a lot of blue dog democrats uh democrats you know in um southern rural districts um who were endorsed by the NRA at that time um mm-hmm. and uh you know it it gave them a you know a, a definitely a a, a a lot of power, um, not just over Republicans, but over some parts of the, you know, Democratic Party as well. Uh, that was 10 years ago. And, you know, since then, a lot has happened to the NRA. Um, and I think for the worse in terms of just their influence, their power, um, A lot, obviously a, a bunch of scandals, but also organizations like MOMS. Demand action and others. Every town, all you know, so folks who are just sort of who who are like, you know what? We're not scared of you guys. You know, we're mm-hmm. going to take you on and we're going to beat you. And for for, I think there was a time, you know, where Democrats were really afraid to take on the NRA. Um, and now they 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 aren't. And uh, so I just wanted to get your sense of like, mm-hmm. what's happened to the NRA? You know, I mean and you've been going toe to toe with them, you know, for years now, from just your perspective, what's happened to them? I mean, they're At just first, not the same group that they used to be.
2: No, they're not. Um, they're so, you know, there's there's so many interesting uh, avenues to explore as, as an answer to your question. And, and we don't have time for all, but I'm sure. But look, if you go back to 2013, the NRA had to make a decision. You know, Were they going to back down or double down? And as we all know, they decided to double down. Uh, Wayne LaPierre had his infamous press conference two weeks after the Sandy Hook tragedy, where he said the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And they had been pulled right, essentially, by these other gun groups that exist in every single state. Um, they are these gun extremists who believe any law whatsoever passed around guns is, is an infringement on the Second Amendment. Just like the Tea Party pulled Congress to the right, these groups pulled the NRA to the right. And then you go to to the Manchin-Toomey vote, which we were talking about a second ago in 2013, in the spring. And some Democratic senators made a bet that if they did the bidding of the NRA, they the NRA would have their backs because they were in states where you know it was maybe more red than others. An example of that is Mark Pryor in Arkansas. He voted against Manchin Toomey, a Democrat. He thought the NRA would have his back. Nope, instead they invested millions and millions of dollars into Tom Cotton's campaign. He beat Mark Pryor. And what the, the Democrats needed to learn was that with friends like the NRA, no one needed enemies, right? And so that was a really important turning point because they saw that we had their backs. And, and look, we are a nonpartisan organization. We need Republicans to, to vote this way too. And more and more, we're seeing that they are. And, and that's also in part because as you mentioned, um, the NRA is weaker than they've ever been. They are underwater uh, reputationally, financially. Um, they are, are now seen as a toxic destructive force. For many lawmakers, an A rating is no longer a badge of honor, it's a scarlet letter. In fact. The NRA took down all their ratings for candidates in 2018. We, we saved all that data and put it right back up on our website, but you know, that is not the same, does not carry the same clout that it used to. Um, the NRA is mired in countless pieces of litigation. They've laid off employees. They've spent millions, tens of millions in legal fees. Uh, they're losing members, they're losing credibility, but most importantly, their, their candidates are, are losing elections. Um, and as I mentioned, even in their own backyard in Virginia. So who knows? They could be on the brink of dissolution. I don't know if they will ever go away completely, but it's really important uh, that we, we win in November so that we can keep as much power away from the gun lobby as possible. And, and we know that Donald Trump has done everything he can to to empower the gun lobby. Now, when you look at successes we've had, one of the things I'm very proud of is that even with a Republican president who took $30 million from the NRA, he had a Republican Congress for two years, the NRA still did not pass a single piece of its priority legislation because we've gotten so good at playing defense. But, but we are ready to play offense and, and hopefully we can do that come January.
0: Yeah, you know, could you, could you maybe explain a little bit to, uh, to, to the listeners? Uh, my So my understanding of the NRA, the way sort of like when you, I began in politics, so like 15, you know, 20 years ago, the NRA was, you know, their power was around their members, right? They claim, you know, they said they had five, six, seven million dues paying members, right? And these are, sing, they were, you know, single issue voters. And so they were just, you know, and you're, you're running for Congress and you've got like, you know, the last thing you wanted was the NRA in some of these districts to be against you. Um, but what it seemed to me happened in, is that how much did they get taken over? Not just by, I know that you mentioned that they got pulled to the right, but it seems like the gun manufacturers who are the big, you know, who probably fund most of the, a, a huge portion of the NRA had, a, began to have a much greater voice in the organization, along with the sort of right wing. I'm not putting, I'm not dismissing that but the average ordinary folks who you know who believe in the second amendment who want to carry around guns but also as you said support background checks support a lot of these common sense issues by huge margins they were not being listened to and um so i I just i'm curious i i don't you know i'm just i don't know if i'm right about that but i'm just curious if that's like the power of the gun manufacturers as well in terms of not just, you know, they fund, they're big funders of the NRA and and how much they have sort of been able to get away with, you know, the NRA has been the, you know, sort of the, the person who gets sort of taken to the woodshed here, but a lot of focus is on, you know, in terms of the gun manufacturers, we shouldn't forget about them too, right?
2: Right. I mean, there's, I think this um, misnomer that the NRA is all powerful because it has so many members. If that were true, we wouldn't necessarily have won in Virginia in 2019. The NRA has an annual budget, or at least used to, of about $350 million. If you look at, for example, 2016, 2015, 2014, it went up $100 million, in fact, after the shooting tragedy in Sandy Hook, because the NRA was able to exploit fear of... of New gun laws or confiscation—you know the, the, this um, rhetoric and misinformation that they spread—and and it juiced gun sales for them. Um, and so, with, even with no members, the NRA would still be incredibly uh, wealthy organization because of the money that they get from from gun manufacturers. But I also and do they get money also, from
0: like dicks too. Like, I—is I, there something about like no? Okay, dicks has been for... great. Dicks has been great. I guess I've. I guess there was something about, and I, it wasn't Dicks, but I think I read somewhere about how some sporting goods stores that sell guns. Oh yeah. Are Cabela's?
2: Um, yeah. Uh, Bass Pro Shop. they they have allegiance and an alliance with with the gun lobby. Yes. Um, they and they have get a programs. percentage,
0: right, of the sales. I, Is that
2: right? They definitely have sales partnerships. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why they haven't made the same kind of changes that retailers like Walmart and Dick's have. But, but I also don't think you should underestimate the power and the corruption of, of the NRA's CEO, Wayne LaPierre. Um, you know, he's being investigated now by the IRS for tax fraud. Um, he has spent tens of thousands of dollars on Italian suits from Beverly Hills. Not something usually, you know, a nonprofit uh, leader charges back to their organization, uh, private jet travel. Um, sweetheart deals to friends and family. So, this is not an organization that's acting like a nonprofit. Um, it's acting like a mouthpiece for for gun manufacturers that has been above the law for far too long.
0: So, Joe Biden wins the presidency. Um, knock on wood. Uh, what would you like to see the a Biden administration and and a maybe a Democratic congress do in the first 100 days um of his presidency on this issue
2: well it's important to remember that that in 2018 the house passed sweeping gun reform legislation including closing the background check loophole those bills are are dying on mitch mcconnell's desks while americans are dying in the streets So we have a historic opportunity to finally pass the first federal gun safety legislation in almost 25 years, and and we have to seize it. Um, Vice President Biden is his gun sense champion. He knows the urgency of this moment. He was instrumental in passing the last gun safety legislation back in 1994. He has made it a priority to talk about this issue um, at every campaign stop and our priorities would be first to, to pass a background check on all gun sales, which 93% of Americans support, to close that federal loophole, which we've done in, in 22 states. The second thing would be to pass a strong red flag law. Um, red flag laws, depending on the state, allow family members or police to petition a judge to get a temporary restraining order that removes guns from someone who is at a risk to themselves or to others. And um, we've successfully passed these in 19 states. They have broad bipartisan support and and would be incredibly effective at a federal level uh, to disarm people in crisis before the warning signs that that are so often there before these tragedies um, to prevent them from happening. And then third, we need to address city gun violence. Um, and, And we do that by dramatically increasing funding for local violence intervention programs. These programs have been shown by data to work. They interrupt gun violence before it begins because of the relationships that these programs have in their communities. It helps those leaders save lives. Um, and, and we already know that in the first 100 days of in, in office, Vice President Biden, Senator Harris, said they would take this holistic approach. They would even put forward $900 million to um, to bolster local violence intervention programs. So we're confident that this will happen uh, once they're elected.
0: Tell me, um, what did you think of the footage that uh, came out really just in the last couple days of um, Joe Biden embracing um, mm. the sun? Um, I think his name is Corey, um, the son of, um, mm-hmm. Chris Hickson, uh, who was murdered. Um, you know, he was one of the people, he was a hero. Uh, he was, yeah. uh, he, he, he was one of the people who went after the shooter at, uh, uh Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high, he was killed. And, um, there's this footage that's come out and, um, I choke up about it because it was just it was, um, Mm -hmm. you know, if there's any reason why, if if you're on the fence and you're trying to figure out, okay, I'm sort of not sure of whether I should either vote or whether I should vote for Biden or Trump. I mean, this this was just so um, unbelievable of him embracing this this young man who had lost his father. Um, Ah, God, it was just heart wrenching. Um, I I don't know if you I'm sure you've seen it. Yes, Um, yes. Um, yeah,
2: I, there's such a stark contrast between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Um, if you go back to to the Obama administration, you know, President Obama shed tears at a press conference about the Sandy Hook shooting, and he was mocked by some. He he says the biggest regret of his presidency was not being able to pass stronger gun laws in the wake of that shooting tragedy. And Joe Biden was there every step of the way, working to to get bipartisan support for, for some kind of change. And his empathy, you know, towards survivors, gun violence survivors and their families. And that's why so many of them are supporting Joe Biden's campaign, because they know that he will act on this issue, because they know he understands the pain and the trauma of going through the loss that they've been through. Um, I have no doubt that he will act in their honor. And you know, he has taken on the NRA for years. Um, And and so I know these things are already in his mind, I I have no doubt doubt he will get them done. When he's in the White House, Um, again, unlike Donald Trump, who, after the every shooting tragedy in this country says he will do something. And then he gets a call from the NRA, and he does nothing. Um, You know, that's, that's the inaction we've seen for so long on this issue that that this election could change.
0: Shannon Watts, uh, thank you so much for coming on the electables. I, um, I can't thank you enough for your, the work that you do and the, and the, and the other volunteers from moms demand action for gun sense in America. Um, you know, you, you guys are, you're on the front lines of, of trying to make this country a better place, a safer place. Um, and, uh, you've had a lot of, uh, big victories, um, over the years and and, you know, I hope that we and, you know, we have a Democratic president. We have a Congress that can can help help you realize some some other victories over the next couple of years. And we just make you know, we make this country a safer place for all of us to live and particularly our schools. Our kids should never have to go to school worried about getting shot. Um, hmm. So thank you so much for everything you do.
2: Thank you. And thank you for having me on.
0: Shannon Watts from Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Um, Michael, um, w- w- as you're thinking about this um, election, what are the w- what are the issues that you're voting on? Like, w- what's the top? W- what's your top
1: issue? I mean, I I feel like my top issue is is um, is probably the climate. Um, I I think that we are not addressing that issue at uh, at the level it needs to be. But I think this election, where we are as a country, I think just um, we just got to get back on a better path and back towards having our politics be a little bit more civil. Um, and and I'm hoping Biden can can be the president that that brings that back. I just think this is such a simple decision in my opinion. Um, so I don't know if I really want to, if I really get into the weeds on a specific policy issue or, or something like that. Um, it's really just, we need to get an adult back in the white house and, um, get back to business. But there are a lot of issues that, that need to be addressed.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and none of it is, you know, we're, we're we're incapable right now as a country in terms of, you know, given the leadership in the White House, um, given Mitch McConnell and his leadership in the Senate, we're just sort of incapable of doing anything of consequence. Um, and uh, in fact, you know, Trump's made everything worse, way worse. Um, and, you know, I, I, I have... I have uh, a lot of my friends who um, I grew up with and uh, went to school with, you know, most of them are... that. Most of them are, are Democrats and, you know, and and liberal. And some of them are de- Democrats and liberal, but, you know, are, are sort of in the... You know, the, the... Even beyond where Bernie Sanders is in terms of, like, a sense that... Um, you know, if we vote for, you know, maybe you vote for Trump to make things so bad that the system just implodes or blows up and then you just have to rebuild it the way it should be built. You know, it's this a sense. It's it's I, I right. think some of the things that trapped folks in 2016. You know, where they didn't vote for Clinton, um, they didn't vote for Trump either, or they did. They didn't want to vote for Trump, but their whole view was we need to make we need to make things so bad that it just sort of it. There's like this um, purge that occurs yeah, and we can start over. And, you know, I just to me, it's it's like how much worse can it get
1: (laughs) or or in the middle of a
0: pandemic that has caused, you know, 200 plus thousand lives of Americans probably more than that um yeah, I, my sense is it's probably more than that because they weren't counting um I'm sure they missed some you know I'm sure they missed hundreds if not thousands of people who died connected to covid millions of people losing their jobs tens of thousands thousands of businesses have been uh closed Total disruption in people's lives. Um, I don't know how much it can get worse. I mean, I, I guess it could be. But for these folks who are saying, oh, well, you know, we hate Trump, but, you know, what's the difference, you know, you know, what's the difference between Trump and Biden? It's like, <laughs> do your homework, man. Yeah. You know, like, that's just laziness. I just can't tolerate anymore. Yeah. You got to do your homework. There is a major it is night and day between Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump. I oh. mean Joe Biden's a good man. <laughs> that's right. why I brought up that Right. That's why I brought up that moment he had with this young man, this you know, this son of this guy who was murdered um at, you know, who was trying to protect uh school children who are being shot at. Um and it and it you don't see Trump doing stuff like that. I mean just putting on a human just it just strictly just human versus human, right? Putting all the issues aside. There is no doubt that Joe Biden is head and shoulders Donald Trump isn't even in the same friggin' league with Joe Biden as when it comes to just being a person, being a man, being someone who is um you know, cares about other folks, who doesn't think about themselves, who has empathy. It's not even in the same – they're not even in the same universe.
1: Right. It's not even comparing apples to apples. I mean, it, it, Donald Trump was such a non-starter candidate, in my opinion, back in 2016, that it almost felt to me like the Republicans had – like we were we were playing a game of Monopoly and they decided that the game was over and they were going to troll the game, basically, by electing Donald Trump. And that, that's how – much of a non-starter he is as a candidate, and I think we've been—I, I mean, almost lucky. That, I mean, to, this is weird to say, but almost lucky that we've only had a pandemic go be, be the worst thing to happen to us during this presidency. I mean, it's 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 that insane to me that that people would want to elect Donald Trump to be the leader of the free world, um, and and kind of to that point, like. I grew up in Arizona and and a lot of my friends, you know, Arizona is definitely becoming more liberal. Um, It's kind of a mixture of people from other places. So you have staunch Democrats and you have, uh, you know, Republicans out there. And it's, it's interesting seeing the way that their ideas on this have evolved and wanting to just have an identity of, of not being kind of a like a liberal, they want to, they still want this identity of being a Republican, but the Republican Party, the GOP has just completely changed now. I don't even think you can, um, I think the Republican Party needs to be re, re, completely redone. Um, and the idea of what it means to be a conservative needs to be looked at. But um, yeah, it, it's such a stark contrast, the two candidates, and I, I just really hope Um, Biden wins in a landslide and really sends a message that that this this country is not um, there's no silent majority of people that think the way Donald Trump thinks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think you've got a. You know, I think Trump is uh, Trump is just this. I think that the the biggest i think the biggest scam he's run in his life and he's run a lot of scams on people um is what he has done i believe with um many of his supporters and um you know i i'm, I'm a big howard stern fan i listen to howard stern um i've listened to him a long time um but um uh, Stern used to be, you know, Stern had, um, Trump on quite a bit as a, as a guest yeah. many years ago. Not even many years. I, I, I'm sure it was like probably within the last 10 years, but I don't know, 15, 20 times he probably had Trump on. And I, you know, I think they would, bo- I, I guess they were friends or would describe themselves that, you know, or Stern may have a try, you know, maybe described himself that way with them, but you know, obviously things have changed and and you know howard stern said this thing that i thought was really interesting um and uh um i'm gonna try to find the exact quote if i can but i can paraphrase um he basically said that you know donald trump doesn't give a shit about his supporters um he, these are people that he wouldn't even allow um into his own hotels right um, you know, he, he said, I'm pulling this article up, um, uh, uh, he, uh, so he said this is from a deadline article. Um, the oddity in all of this is the people Trump despises most love him the most, uh, the people who were voting for Trump, for the most part, he wouldn't even let in, He wouldn't even let them in a fucking hotel. He'd be disgusted by them. Go to Mar-a-Lago. See if there's any people who look like you. I'm talking to you in the audience, and that's what um, Howard Stern um, said recently um, in May about uh, his longtime friend Donald Trump. And you know, it's interesting. Like, no one thinks this is a good man.
1: You know. Yep.
0: Um,
1: yeah, it and, do, it doesn't seem like that's up for debate, and yet one side still feels like they can vote for him.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I would give. I I do believe that you're seeing an erosion of support, slight erosion. I mean, there are a bunch of Republicans, you know, who are sort of your traditional Republicans, Bush, Reagan Republicans, who are now um, aggressively going after Trump. You yeah, know, the Lincoln Project. You obviously have people like Nicole Wallace, uh Steve Schmidt. Yep. Um I mean just a lot of these like, you know, I, I I my guess is that George W. Bush will vote for Biden, you know. Um I wouldn't be surprised if a number of G- GOP senators who, you know, aren't up would vote for him. They've never admitted it, but Yeah. Um But I guess look, my point is is that this is, you know, this is a man. This is not a this this is not a decent man. Uh this is not a man who cares about um his supporters he never has you know this is not someone you know he is someone who only cares about himself and only cares about what is going to make donald trump better off um and from a policy standpoint look who's look who covid is impacting the hardest right they tend to be Lower income people of color. Now that's now it's really hitting people in rural areas, people with pre-existing conditions, and Donald Trump is still trying to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. He's in court trying to get rid of it, and this is the plan that if it if the Supreme Court strikes down Obamacare, millions of people won't have coverage. People who have um, pre-existing conditions, cancer, diabetes, asthma. They, the protections that are in place as a result of the Affordable Care Act, gone. They're Those are gone. And you know what? You know, it's now a new uh, a, a pre existing condition is COVID. And he wants to take away your health care in the middle of a pandemic? I mean, it's just, it's totally unfucking believable. Yeah. Right? That, you know, and that many of the folks who are struggling, you know, many of the working class whites, who are supporting Trump? Think just if you look at the, his the policies he's promoting. These policies are not helping them by any means. You know, he passed a huge tax cut. The tax cut helped major corporations and the rich. Didn't help people making thirty, forty thousand dollars a year or a family helping eighty thousand dollars a year. Okay, yeah, yeah, maybe you got a little. Ch- you know, $500, you know, $600 um, refund. But at the end of the day, like all of that money blew a hole (laughs) in the deficit, which had reduced significantly under Obama. And programs such as Medicare, Medicaid, um, uh, food stamps, Things that uh, many working class whites rely on are in danger. And so it's just, you know, I think that, you know, and and this is not about what, how can you, you know, this is not really, you know, to me, this is to, to me, it's about how Trump has screwed over all these folks and has been. You know, he is a, he has always been a scam artist. He's always been a con man throughout his career. And right now he's running a scam on a lot of people, um, who, you know, can't afford it. They just can't afford to have you know, but they see in Trump, you know, a a what I believe is this fake machismo. Um uh, they they like the fact that he's sort of outside of the, you know, the political world, always trying to stick it to people. And, right. and I get that. Like, I you know, I think there's something appealing, um, not so much about how Trump does it, but, you know, sort of that that will, uh, you know, sort of outside a politician. Obama was someone who ran outside of, you know, sort of Washington. It's an appealing, you know, I think people like that. Right. Um, the problem is, is that. Trump doesn't really believe much of anything and the only thing he cares about is himself. And to me, you know, I think who ends up getting hurt there are the millions of people who support him and then also the millions and millions of people who don't. And, um, so I think at the, you know, I hope this nightmare comes to an end in two weeks. Um, this has been a uh, awful period of time for this country. Um, and um, you know, I hope people you know if they haven't voted yet, make a plan to vote, put together a voting plan. Are you gonna you know you request an app abs- you know, request a ballot, return it immediately. You can return it by mail, some places you can drop it off at voting locations. You're going to go vote on election day remember to try to get there early maybe bring some some water something to snack on because in some places lines will be long but just turn out turn out and vote and then remember there's more after that because it's not just defeating donald trump it's what we do after that and and and, and there's just so much at stake the alt you know the goal right now is to get rid of this man um and elect joe biden who's going to be in my estimation a very good president a very humble very humble very good man decent man and then we've got a lot of things that we've got to do when he takes power and we got to back him up that's, that's right. my rant that's my rant i love it um so uh, michael you have a wonderful we we're, we're Friday. we're heading into the weekend it's friday um so um, hopefully we'll post this ep- episode early next week, and uh, we've got a couple more episodes before the election. I'd like to to get up there and uh, um, um, great conversation today with Shannon. I, I really appreciate these folks that you know we've been doing a lot of these interviews with advocates who are in, uh, who care about issues that we care about, and I love spotlighting them and making sure people know um, you know what these organizations are doing, uh, and these organizations that are really making change from the ground up. So um, for my producer, Michael Powquin. this is Doug Thornell. Um, This has been uh, another edition of The Electables, and uh, we'll catch you next time.